Hello, and welcome to Next Quest Podcast, where I ask your potential therapist questions so you don't have to. Today on the show, I welcome Rhonda Dyer, licensed clinical social worker supervisor, to talk about her practice and specialty, ecotherapy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Next Quest Podcast. I am your host, Noah Garcia, licensed professional counselor supervisor, and today I will be interviewing Rhonda Dyer, LCSW supervisor, about her, her practice, and ecotherapy. Rhonda, it's good to have you on the show. You are the brave one uh, who chose to go first. I appreciate that. It's exciting being on the first podcast. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm going to ask you some questions about your practice and your experience, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, different things as they come up. Um, so for starters, for our listeners who may be other therapists or um, potential clients, people looking for a therapist, what are your credentials and experience? I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I supervise interns also. So I um, have had over 20 years experience uh, as an LCSW and I've been a supervisor since 2012 for about eight years. So I've worked a lot in the child welfare field and then I've worked about 10 years with the military. So um, just uh, doing private practice the last three years. Awesome, awesome. Um, now I know a question that is important for a lot of people when seeking a therapist is, uh, do you accept insurance? And if so, which ones? Yes, I do. I accept a lot of different insurances, Aetna, Humana, different Blue Cross Blue Shields. I think there's so many of them. And I do also a lot of employee assistance programs and contract with a lot of different uh, ones of those to supply services. And then I have a sliding scale fee too. Okay, awesome. What about weekend or evening appointments? So my uh, company is called Forest Creek Counseling and we have Sundays available and evenings available. Uh, some of my interns also work on Saturdays. Okay. Is being a therapist your first career? Um, no, I worked in the child welfare field, worked with uh, adoptions and foster care for many years and really enjoyed it. And then, like I said, I've worked, uh, I was a military family life counselor for over 10 years too. Awesome. 
now tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what, what makes Rhonda Rhonda? I love nature. I love people. So I love to go kayaking. I get a little obsessed with kayaking and I go, um, I like to backpack and hike and go camping. Just love the outdoors. I have three kids. They're all grown kids. And um, I have one grandchild about to have my second grandchild. So that's exciting. Thanks. Thanks. So I just love people. I love nature. And so, you know, one of the modalities that you draw upon is ecotherapy, right? Right. What drew you to ecotherapy? Um, I attended a training in Austin about uh, two and a half years ago and just really found out about um, ecotherapy. I've always used nature for my, for my own health. You know, when I'm stressed out, I go on a hike or I go camping. I've even gone camping by myself sometimes. And then just to find it just resonated so personally with me um, that I got more into it. And then last year, I went and took an intensive eight-day camping trip in wilderness with wilderness reflections in California and became certified as an ecotherapist and it really combines my loves you know of the outdoors and of nature and of people and helping people so it, it really just fit fit genuinely for me that's wonderful so tell me what exactly is ecotherapy ecotherapy is really using nature as another therapist uh, usually with a traditional or therapist and um, it helps people really um, with their interaction, their social interactions and their interactions with nature. It's a, a very healing to do that, just to get out and breathe even and uh, to do some different things. Some of the other things that incorporated into that is um, modalities like walk and talk or equine therapy is a type of ecotherapy, horticulture therapy like gardening and playing in the dirt really. <laughs> It is a kind of ecotherapy. The key to it is that there's usually a trained practitioner that can um, really help with the mind-body-nature connection. Okay. What are the main principles of ecotherapy? The main principles are connecting people both socially and with the nature, with Mother Nature, and connecting them for healing. So the healing might be breathing in, it might be mindfulness, it might be learning to reduce stress by cueing into nature. Um, there's a lot of science and research that's gone into it. And they found that a lot of people, they even did like uh, cancer patients and tested them about their being outside or even looking outside and how it helped them heal um, a lot versus, you know, being inside and not being connected to nature. What sorts of things can ecotherapy help with? It can help with stress and anxiety. It can help with depression. It can really help um, with some problem solving. There's a lot of different things that it can help with. A lot of people have also found that people that have some medical things, that if it's, it's used as an argument to medical therapies too. So it can really recenter the person or rejuvenate them. Now, earlier you mentioned walk and talk. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, sure. So a session um, has an intent and it has a, a beginning and an end. So I usually use a bridge as a portal or maybe I'll do like a, a round of sticks and we will mindfully together, the client and the therapist, think about what they want to work on during the session. And then we'll enter the portal and we will walk and talk. And while we're walking and talking, there might be a bird that comes by and 
sings us a little song or might we might notice a snail or that it that gives little clues to things and then usually we go walk somewhere we're walking and talking instead of sitting in an office the walk and talk is out in nature and usually I scout out a trail ahead of time so I know you know where we're going <laughs> and yeah. uh then usually, right, usually we get to a, a certain place and we can sit by a stream or a brook and feel the air on us and just totally be present in the moment. So there's a lot of mindfulness that goes into it. We also use some Hakomi, which is a somatic a mind-body connection and just connecting the person really to be conscious about what's going on with their breathing and themselves and, you know, what's going on around them in the present moment. That sounds very cool. And I think, you know, especially these days with COVID being around, if somebody wanted to meet with their therapist in person, that sounds like it would be a, a way to socially distance and be able to see your therapist in person. Yes, no, I've, I've um, have four or five clients that I'm doing walk and talks with. And not only that, they're working from home or they're in, you know, their bedroom is the, not only their office, it's their bedroom and where they eat and they're feeling really uh, closed in mm -hmm. and some of them even say they feel like they're trapped and so getting out in nature and being six feet apart and breathing the fresh air not worrying about germs being spread in an enclosed space has helped them so much that it really just opens up their head and their in everything so they've really appreciated just being able to be outside so when you meet with clients do you teach them ways to practice ecotherapy on their own? Yes, and even, even virtually or the telehealth, some clients that need to be outside or need to go somewhere, I've talked to them about ecotherapy, things that they could do on their own. One of the things called a sit spot, and it, it's really a British thing, and there's lots of websites and stuff on it, but you pick a place in nature that you would go routinely and you sit there and um, usually when we're walking somewhere, we're going somewhere, we're like measuring the miles or how fast we're going. This is just to relax and be in the moment. And usually when you're, you're bulldozing on a hike or something, the birds go and the animals, they go to the side. So you have to look to the side for them. That's a bird watching principles. Look to the side because they're not gonna be in front of you. So this is you settle in for 15 minutes or so, maybe a half hour, and nature starts coming to you. The dragonflies will come and tickle your toes, or you'll see like a little bird, or you'll be near something. They'll, nature will start talking to you and being with you. And instead of watching nature in a sit spot, you become part of nature. You become part of that ecosystem. And that has really helped people a lot. I have a man that lives out by the lake. He lives in Austin half the time, the lake the other half of the time, and taught him how to do a sit spot. And he identified some birds that were fighting with each other, you know, and he, he could pair that or parallel that with some of his anger management, you know, like uh, it's territory or different things. So it starts, the, the nature starts symbolizing things that are going on in the person's life. And so he just loves sit, sit spots. I like doing a sit spot too. It's just a relaxing finally with not an agenda and letting you become one with nature. Earlier, I had meant to ask, you know, when you said when you do the walk and talk, there's a, an aspect of a portal that you, you said you kind of create 
before the session? Yeah, I warn people limits of confidentiality are a little bit less that um, there might be somebody that walks by and will stop. It will say that you'll, that might be people will stop talking if people walk by, but there's a very much a beginning and an end. And so there's a portal and I tell them, this is where we're gonna start and we'll do therapy through here. When we come back and go through the process bridge again, therapy's over with and we'll walk to our cars or whatever. So it sort of creates that safe space or that even though it's a, a trail or something, there is like a, a path. Mm -hmm. And sounds like a boundary as well. Yeah, it's, it's safe boundaries, yeah. So what has ecotherapy been shown to change within our bodies physiologically? And I know there's a lot of aspects of that in ecotherapy. In Japan, the they call it Shinrinku was called forest bathing and there's more oxygen being given off by trees and so when you're in nature or around a lot of trees there's more oxygen exchange that helps your body it really helps your mind a lot too there's some physiological differences that have happened just touching the earth or or feeling your bare feet on the ground you know some I'll call it tree huggers, right? But some tree huggers can feel some vibrations through the trees that they feel like they're being understood or, or they can give some of their stress or some of their pain to the tree and the tree's so big it can absorb that. So um, there's a lot of like chemical changes that happen with your body that affect your mind being in nature. Very cool. Now, what are some misconceptions about ecotherapy? What is ecotherapy not? for example? Um, it's not recreational. So just being out like on a hike or going in nature, it's not, it's not that. It has a purpose and an intent and you're usually with a trained person. So like um, going on a through hike or, or just going on a hike or swimming in a river or something, that's good for you, but it doesn't have psychological effect because you, you probably need somebody that's guiding you and trying to find the symbolism in things and, you know, just connecting both you both socially uh, with nature. It's probably the biggest difference. That sounds like a pretty big difference there. What kind of experience do you have working with particularly vulnerable clients, such as those who are transgender, undocumented, or BIPOC, to name a few? I work with a lot of LGBT clients and um, it's usually not about LGBT issues. It's usually about relationship issues or about anger management or stress issues that plays into it. I, I guess I could say I was raised by an LGBT person. So it makes me very accepting. I think that helps people a lot too. Um, I worked with a lot of different uh, cultures. I haven't done any immigration things, but in the military, there's a lot of different cultures that you work with. So I think that's, uh, I love uh, being a student of culture and always looking at it as trying to learn new things. So that's sort of where I'm at. I'm pretty open and accepting of all people really. That's great to hear. I know you kind of explained this a little bit earlier in terms of how your session is structured. You said, you know, you have the portal, you have the beginning and the ending. What about in between? Is there any structure, you know, while you're on that walk? Yeah, we usually discuss what, what they want to discuss, what they, the issue that they're bringing up. 
and it could be um, it could be discrimination in the workplace. It could be just stress management. Um, so they're bringing up what the issues are and how it's affecting their life. And then we talk about that and then we also connect nature to it. And then like midpoint, we do some deep breathing. And uh, like I asked this one person who was dealing with some discrimination in the workplace, if you, if you are anything in nature, would you be? And, and we're at this creek and she said, I would be the river. And I'm like, would you be the current or would you just be sitting on the river? And she said, I would be the current. I'm just going to go with the flow and I'm not going to make any waves. All of a sudden, a beautiful leaf, a beautiful leaf just falls from this tree, like a big maple leaf, and sits on the top of this river. And the current twirls it around and sweeps it away. She goes, I'll be that leaf. <laughs> it was just like, this is like perfect timing, you know? And then before we cross the bridge, we give thanks and uh, ways that we could give back to Mother Nature and that it's reciprocal, that not only do we take, but we also give back to, to heal the earth also. And so we just do a moment of uh, thanking for the session and thanking for you know, nature being there. And then we cross the portal again. So there is sort of a little bit of a structure to it. Yeah, we give thanks to the earth at the end. I love that. Um, yeah, we. I also do, I discuss it a couple times in sessions before we go out to a walk and talk or before we go to nature. Um, usually what they like, um, what their physical limitations are, you know, if they have a bad knee or allergic to things, I don't know, like pollen. But, but I have a lot of nature things in my office. So I have plants and rocks and I have uh, giant pictures that I took myself on some hikes in Yosemite and uh, so it's real sort of personal, but it's also very nature oriented. So just get them talking about that, just figure out their limitations and what they really would get out of it sometimes before we even go. So, and usually a session in the office lasts about 50 minutes, but in nature it lasts minutes. And so it just takes a little more time to, to walk and talk and to, you know, get there and so I usually budget 90 minutes for a, a ecotherapy session. Okay. Okay. My next question is, would you say you're directive or non-directive in your approach? You, it sounds like there's some structure, but what about, you know, interpersonally? I try really to be non-judgmental and to listen to everything that people have to say, but I also am known to give blunt feedback and be honest with people and, and tell them. And, and oftentimes it's in form of a question, you know, it could be about infidelity or, or different anger, stress, whatever they're going through. And I sort of question that. So I would say a little bit of both, you know, but I don't have a prescribed set of curriculum, you know, uh, some mm -hmm. modalities have like step-by-step. -step. Right. I don't have that. So I really let the client direct it but I also give really honest feedback. Okay, great. I know a lot of people really appreciate that. What could a new client expect from an initial session with you? Usually a sense of confidentiality and what the legal things of uh, saying you're gonna hurt yourself or hurt somebody else or gonna hurt other people. And then we get right into it and really discuss uh, what brought them to therapy, what's going on with them, uh, what are their challenges in life and their stressors. Because usually, 
usually people come to therapy for a reason and just get those reasons out right away. Start thinking about uh, different resources for them that might help them. Also talk about the balance of your life of activity, nutrition, and sleep and how important those are. So we get into a little bit of the mind-body connection, mm -hmm. um, maybe describing some emotional regulation and what what's, how the body reacts to that or doesn't. So then I always talk about what motivates them or what do they do for fun. And that's stuff like uh what are, what do you do for fun and they're like why do you ask that question you know and i really want to do it because what will motivate them to change what will be the reward for going through this difficult time of uh, assessing this and being conscious of some of the things going on and lots of times it is nature it's being outside or it's going doing things with friends and sometimes they have isolated themselves and quit doing that and so it was like, that is something we need to work towards. So we set up goals pretty easily, usually by the end of the first session. Okay. How would you say your clients describe or experience you? I've worked with a lot of police officers <laughs> and I had one um, give me a great compliment a couple of weeks ago. He said uh, his had a therapist and the therapist couldn't handle what he was sharing. He said, oh, you, you should have my therapist. She, you can tell her anything. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't phase her at all <laughs> and i was like yeah it's sort of true i've heard a lot of things and uh, dealt with a lot of trauma my first work was with um, foster care kids and sexual abuse kids and so people usually describe me as being tough and um not uh not letting major traumas bother me and non-judgmental it sounds like yeah i'm non-judgmental are you the type of therapist who will laugh or cry with your clients? I like to laugh with everybody. Um, I don't hardly cry with anybody. So that's probably it right there. Okay. How do you define holding space for someone? I tell them directly about it. I'd like to create a safe space where they can have a full range of emotions and that they're safe to say whatever they want to say and what's going on. It has been tricky doing telehealth, doing that. Um, it's a challenge, but I, and I even tell them, if you're in my office, you'd be a safe space and I would give you a box of Kleenex for you telling me what's going on. But also that, that safe space frees them to say anything they wanna say. Maybe things they've never told anybody before. Do you think that with telehealth, that people are disclosing things they maybe typically wouldn't? I've had some clients do that recently. Yeah. There's some things they have never told other people. I would hope that they would tell me in my office also, though, the, the same things. So what's been different is some of them aren't getting out of bed. And I'm talking to and I feel I feel a little bit uncomfortable and somebody's in their pajamas talking to me from their bed. So I've some teenagers, I was like, hey, call me back when you're dressed. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, get up out of bed, or can you go to another room? You know. And then I've had some people like walk me around their house. It's like, wow. I just had a client that ended her like 15 EAP sessions, and she disclosed early childhood sexual abuse, and she said, you know, I was ashamed all my life, and you're the. I finally told you. I told my mom when it happened, and nobody believed me. And she goes, I really feel like you freed me. 
And that I think was like creating a safe space. And I think it's challenging to do on telehealth. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It creates this whole other kind of barrier to negotiate with. Now, I, yeah. Now I know you're a um, an LCSW supervisor. What is the best advice you've ever received from a supervisor of yours? Um, I had a great uh, supervisor from my clinical, and uh, he's still a good friend, and I still do some contract work with him. And uh, he, he, I use this a lot. He said, if it wasn't for stress, I would be an amoeba. <laughs> <laughs> I like like, yeah, we, we need a little bit of stress to move us along. Well, and, you know, stress keeps things interesting, too. Mm -hmm. But it all depends how we deal with it. True. What would you say you've personally learned about yourself or the world through your practice? I love listening to people's stories. You know, I think people are fascinating. And uh, even sometimes when I'm not in therapy or, or doing therapy, people start telling me their life history and I don't back away from it. I just like, that is so interesting. So um, I really like hearing people's different stories. I don't, it's sort of humbling. I, I don't really think I have a story but I guess I do because I've been all over the world uh, doing therapy with the military and been some exciting and fun places and challenged myself, uh, even being in my shape or not that great a shape to do some, some outdoor nature stuff. So yeah, I love everybody's stories. What do you do to take care of yourself? You know, we encourage our clients to do self-care all the time. What do you do for you? Yes, I love to be in nature. <laughs> so I, I like to float in a river or be in a lake and more than a swimming pool. You know, I would, I would choose a river or a lake over a swimming pool. Um, when I sit and I kayak and I get in a river, I just feel home. I can have this big sigh and I was like, oh, I'm home, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I talk to the bald eagles as I'm going down the river or something. So uh, nature heals me and, and nature is a thing that I, sometimes when I'm really stressed out, I like, I need nature <laughs> and really big city things stress me out. So I like being outside. I tried gardening. That is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it. But, I'm terrible um, at it too. Every plant I've ever owned has died. I don't have a green thumb, but uh, I can keep a dog alive because I've had a dog for many years. So that's, awesome. that's good news. Yeah. <laughs> How would you define happiness? I think it's relative. I think that sometimes you choose to look at the happy things, but you can also be realistic. And happiness is good, but it doesn't have to be all the time. That we should have a full range of emotions and we should be allowed to be sad or to be angry or, you know, to be melancholy. I've dealt with some grief issues on my own. And I think we have a right to have a wide range of feelings. We just don't ever have them forever, that they come and they go. And it's okay to have a flow of different feelings. And I think a lot of people tend to get stuck in the belief that happiness is like a permanent state of being. You know, it's just as transient as any other emotions. I, I had somebody, a supervisor once, tell me, you know, we should expect to be happy maybe 25% of the time 
neutral 50% of the time and sad 25% of the time, which makes yeah. sense to me, you know? I can tell you when I don't think about it, um, that's when I'm probably more happy. And when I did my ecotherapy training um, last year, they would let us go off into the woods and there was salmon in the water and there was bay leaves falling. I was, I was ecstatic. And I would, I would roll and smell the leaves. And then I went in the water. I like, I'm the water. I become the water. And I was just like, I am so happy right now. I was just like, I don't know. And it was just beautiful. Like not only does it heal me, but being immersed in nature really makes me happy. I can relate to that. I feel most at home at the beach. Awesome. On the ocean, when the waves hit and the the content of the um, salt water that you're breathing in, it's really good for your body. That's awesome. I never knew that. I mean, it explains a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, here's a question that's a little vulnerable. What is the most embarrassing moment you've had as a clinician thus far? Oh, Noah. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> I, about a month ago, and really not that long ago, I, I took a, a young lady out that was very stressed from telehealth, from working at home. She hated working at home. And she told me she was a hiker and a camper. So we, we went out, and the forecast was a little bit of rain. And so um, we're in a tree cover, and we we're doing this, and she's telling me about her stress. And all of a sudden, a thunderstorm comes up. And it just starts pouring rain. The lightning is hitting close by. I'm oh, counting no. 1001, 1002. I'm like, and I almost like I'm on a roller coaster and where you're scared to death, but you're, but you're laughing. I mm -hmm. started doing that. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to die. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and, and I could tell she wanted to run. I could just tell she wanted to run out there. And the rain just soaked us in. And, and she goes, I can feel the stress dripping off of me. I'm like, we're going to die. <laughs> so we get to this open place and you had to run through it to get to a gazebo. And I said, go ahead and run. And then we ran to the gazebo. It was just torrential downpour. And she just started spilling her heart right there about nobody understands the stress that she's going through her husband didn't understand her anxiety and her depression and her stress from having to work from so I was just worried that we we're gonna get hit by lightning yeah that's terrifying <laughs> there is though nothing quite like being outside in the rain there's something about that that just feels good as long as there's no lightning <laughs> right right Rhonda, what is your ideal client? Um, I like a little, um, I would call it like a street kid. Uh, I like kid, I like people that are blunt and honest and sort of tell me what's going on. I don't have to, I don't like having to dig for the feelings or what's going on. I like people to just tell me sort of what's going on, what's happening, even how, how crazy it could be. So I like that. I do a lot of assignments to people, like uh, reading assignments or go do a sit spot or something. I'm always surprised when people actually follow through and do that. So I sort of like that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome when our clients, you know, <laughs> listen to what we ask them to do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of fun too. I've been surprised at that. That's good. Now, is there anything else that you think a potential client 
or other therapists should know about you or it would be helpful to know about you or that you want people to know about you? I really would like to develop some, I know it's really hard during COVID, but develop some groups where we could connect with nature and with each other. I imagine maybe doing a grief group at a campfire and having a communal sharing of our feelings. I think that would be awesome. Um, I'm learning to become a master naturalist so I can identify more things in nature. That's something I'm working on. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. It's finding the time sometimes though. But yeah, I guess that's it. I would like to do more ecotherapy things. And, you know, we're all just trying to survive during this whole change of the pandemic. So I think it's been a little bit difficult for me and for some other people, just like our clients. It's hard being home all the time or doing telehealth or doing this video thing all the time. So I'd like to do more things outdoors and just trying to conceptualize what that would be. Yeah, I mean, maybe you could take your telehealth sessions outside in your backyard or something. Have that better Wi-Fi for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wi-Fi is always the issue, isn't it? It is. Well, Rhonda, what about ecotherapy? Was there something I didn't ask that uh, you think people would benefit from knowing? Yeah, there's a lot of techniques that therapists already use that they could use in nature also. There's some mindfulness things that go really, techniques that go really well in nature. You could do some creative art things in nature and just take pictures of it. Some rock sculptures or some mandalas in, in nature just to be creative and stuff too. So yeah, um, there's also uh, a lot of people in Austin with uh, Children in Nature Network and just to get kids outside more and uh, that that balances them. This is a really difficult time for kids also. Mm -hmm. So um, Richard Loeb said, uh, talked about uh, nature deficit disorder. And uh, if we could just get people outside more and interacting with nature getting back, I think that would help a lot too. That's awesome. I think that ecotherapy is a necessity especially with covid going on these days you know we need to get back outside anything else you'd like for our listeners to know Rhonda? i have a website that describes some of this uh, uh forestcreekcounseling.com and uh i have really a diverse array of in interns so that's cool too i would say if you want to get more into ecotherapy um, i'm part of a texas ecotherapist collective and we have events um, every month and we have a Facebook page, a group page. So um, there's a lot more ecotherapists out there and there's a lot of people that wanna become ecotherapists. I'd say join in. Are there any books that um, you know potential clients could read that might give them a little more information about ecotherapy? Yeah, there's uh, Your Brain and Nature um, there's Ecotherapy, Healing with Nature and Mind by Craig Chalquist, which is sort of the, the, the best one, really, that Richard Love has uh, Vitamin N, and he also has a book called Last Child in the Woods and um, uh, Saving Our Children from Nature Deficit Disorder. So those are some ecotherapy, eco-psychology, resolving, uh, resolving the Earth, healing, healing the Mind is another one by Rozak. So there's some great books out there. 
That's awesome. I thank you so much for that info. And thank you so much for being on the show today. You know, I definitely learned a lot of new things about ecotherapy and definitely something I'm going to look into in the future. Great. That sounds great. All right, cool. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, this has been awesome. This is my first podcast I've ever done to you. So Same. like I really, <laughs> and I didn't, and I didn't pass on any of the questions. So, like I know I could have passed on something, but I like, I enjoyed answering all your questions. It was awesome format. Awesome. I'm glad you, you liked it. to the very first ever Next Quest podcast. I learned something new today and I hope you did too. Stay tuned for our episode next week featuring Jennifer Reedy, who will talk about her practice and specialty working with perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, or PMATs. Next Quest podcast is sponsored by Jan Dimmitt Resources. Save yourself the time and stress of credentialing and let the experts at Jan Dimmitt Resources do what they do best. For over 20 years, Jan Dimmitt Resources has provided administrative support and credentialing services to mental health professionals in Texas and beyond. Visit their website at jandimmitt.com. That is J-A-N-D-I-M-M-I-T-T.com or call 512-731-5725 for more information on all the ways they can make running your practice easier for you. Next Quest Podcasts, brought to you by NextQuest Counseling, relies solely on donations to keep this project going. Please consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page at www.patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash nextquestpodcast, or making a one-time donation on my website at www.nextquestcounseling.com slash about next quest podcast until next question this is noah garcia signing off